Welcome to the Washington Church Toledo Podcast. Together, we are learning to encourage one another to walk with God through cultivating a personal relationship with Jesus the Christ. This podcast consists of recordings from our Sunday morning worship services and other teaching events that you are more than welcome to come join us live. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you all. Um, a couple of things before we get into the scriptures. Uh, we're going to be in the Gospel of uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Um, and we'll get there in just a minute. A couple of things I just want to share with you guys before uh, we get into the message. Just updates on life. Uh, connect with our vision statement, uh, our vision process that we're going through. The Lord, we believe that God has given us His vision. We're beginning to, to kind of seek after that vision. Uh, the vision process is, is two years ongoing in this process as the Lord changes us and shifts us. And last year in March of 2021, um, one of our pastors made a transition, felt called by, by the Lord to, to trust. And uh, Pastor Adam, we had conversations over and over again about the, one of the images was the stepping off the cliff, and he just really felt like this invitation to do that. And so he didn't have a place he was necessarily going, uh, but he felt like it, he, that's what he was supposed to do, and so he did it. And it was very, I, I was encouraged, um, mo, you know, what a model for us all. So he had conversations with churches in Buffalo, New York, in Akron area. Um, he was like this close to, to uh, finalizing something. Uh, as a pastor in, in one of those places, it didn't work out. Um, he shared with me why, and I said, you are very wise for saying no to that. The situation that he was going to get into, things came up at the last minute. Anyway, um, he, he found a job. A church uh, invited him to come, um, and actually, ironic of ironic, but that church is in Toledo. So um, it's at Westgate Chapel. So Adam started last Sunday. At, at, uh, his first Sunday was last Sunday. This is his second Sunday. And so I want to give you guys that update and encourage you to continue to pray for the Just family. It's a challenge to transition into a new church, to get connected to that culture. Um, the kids get assimilated. So just keep them in your prayers. So that's the first thing. The second thing is uh, our vision gathering night. Uh, it was supposed to be on Wednesday night, and we postponed that to Wednesday, uh, February 2nd, I believe it is, the first uh, Wednesday night. And I just wanted to share this with you because the elders, we met yesterday and they were asking me more about it. They said, tell us more about why we postponed it. And, and, uh, and I shared with them and they said, you should share that with everybody else. And so I said, that sounds great. Happy to do that. Um, I, I don't know, hopefully you're, this is something that you can relate to, but let me just share kind of part of my own process. Um, the vision team was meeting. It was, it was really good. We were working through things, um, but it was, there was something not quite right. And so usually we meet, we meet once, finalize what we're going to do on Wednesday nights, uh, and, and that didn't work. So we had to come back again, and, and we got a little bit closer, but there was a sense that I had that, that I felt like God was saying, wait. And again, I don't know about you, but uh, I, I believe that the Lord wants to speak to us. That should be a normal part of our lives, God communicating with us. And I believe that God does communicate with us, and I, I think that we have to learn to listen better. Uh, and I, so I'm trying to learn to listen better. But I also get confused by my own self. And so I was like, you know, again, I don't know if you can relate to this where you're like, is this God? Is this Jimmy? Is this me? 
Um, is this, you know, and so I reached out to the vision team and I just shared with them, hey, I've, I don't know what it is, but I feel like we're supposed to wait, but I don't, don't want to just have this decision be mine. Um, you guys are a huge part of this process. What do you think? And, and they wrote back and we kind of processed um, and then we kind of came to a, a place where it, it seemed like, well, why don't we trust that movement? And so that's, that's why we shifted it. There's nothing wrong. It wasn't a COVID thing. It was just, it seemed like the Lord wanted us to wait. And, and uh, my wife's on that vision team, and we had a conversation about it. And uh, it's always helpful to have somebody who knows you well. And, and she came to me, and, and she said, you know, as I sit with what came forward for you, and as, as you were praying about it, and as I was praying about it as a part of the vision team to, to bring forth an answer, She's like, one of the things I know about you is you never cancel anything. <laughs> and you, you push things forward when sometimes they shouldn't be pushed forward. So the fact that you're hesitating should tell you something. And I go, I should probably listen to that. Fourth member of the Trinity. Um, so wanted to give you those two updates connected to our vision as we continue to have a conversation around our vision and preach through that. So what I want to do is I want to, uh, I want to back up just a little bit for those of you who maybe weren't there on Sunday um, or didn't have a chance to hear the message last Sunday, or maybe you were here on Sunday because it was a lot to take in. And I just want to kind of review a little bit of what I talked about as we're in the series on the power of God, and then I want to take that momentum and carry it forward into this Sunday and what we're going to talk about this Sunday as we continue to go. And so I want to, uh, I want to start with this slide. I talked about last week that power has four key principles or ways of being. Okay? The first is source. All power has a source, and all that power comes from God. Okay? Now, some of that power ends up getting twisted, um, as we'll see, because in, in, we live in, in an earth, and we see that not everything is great. But that's, that's the source of it. Uh, the second thing is the ability, in Greek it's called the dunamis um, power of God, and that's the ability to, to, to live out that power. Okay? The third thing is the right or the legal, which is a legal term, exousia in Greek, but it's the right to execute the power that you've been given. You have the authority or the right to do it. And then finally, all power has a purpose. Okay? Everything, everything that, that God does and everything you see Jesus do with the power of God through the Holy Spirit has a purpose behind it, and that purpose is always the advancement of the kingdom of God. All right? So that's... That's a bit of a review. We talked about um, Luke chapter 4, verse 14, when Jesus comes out of the temptation in defeating Satan in a way, not fully defeating Satan, but stripping him of some of his power and authority. It tells us that Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And we talked about how Jesus operates fully God, but chooses to function in his humanity, trusting on the Holy Spirit to guide and lead in his relationship and connection to the Father. Okay, again, it's, it's, a, it's, it's mystery that we, how do, you, how do we use words to talk about God, right? It's, it's a challenging, daunting thing, but we do the best we can. But we look at what the text says. Following that passage, we see that Jesus walks into the synagogue, which often he does. He teaches in the synagogue. Actually, Paul does that same thing. Synagogues were the early churches, essentially, uh, of that time. And we, we get that model today of the church the gathered ones, from the Jewish model of the synagogue. So he walks into the synagogue, and he sits down in the seat of Moses, and he unrolls the scroll because he had the right to as a rabbi with one with authority who could teach. And this is what he says. He reads from, actually, the, the scroll of Isaiah. So this comes from Isaiah 61, and it comes from Isaiah 58. And he brilliantly 
pieces those two scripture passages together, and this is what he says. He says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, I just want to sit with this just for a minute because I believe that this is Jesus' job description. So basically he comes in and he sits down and he unrolls uh, the scroll of Isaiah. He reads these passages intentionally and selectively. And if we had more time, I could go into the culture and the fact that because he was a rabbi with authority, he could actually choose his reading. He didn't have to just go with the weekly reading, but he, he had the authority to choose his own reading and he chose this from Isaiah. And essentially what he's saying is Isaiah prophesied these words and foretold these words that at some day, the Messiah would come, and this is what the Messiah would do. And Jesus says, he reads this through, and then afterwards he says that this has been fulfilled in your midst. And then they got really ticked at him, and they wanted to drive him out, because essentially what he was saying is, I'm the Messiah that Isaiah prophesied and the other prophets told were coming. But I want to look at this just for a minute before we move on. It says this, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. So he's recognizing what Luke was already saying previously, when, it, when the Spirit, the spirit of, of God, and again, how does this work with Jesus being fully God? I don't know, but I'm just going off what the Word of God says, that the Spirit of God came upon Jesus at his baptism, and we'll get more into that next month when we talk about the Holy Spirit, but at that point, something shifts and his ministry begins, okay? It's not that he wasn't lack of spirit before, but there's something that goes on and that's what happens. And then it's clear to us that after he defeats Satan in the wilderness, that he operates with this unction uh, of the Holy Spirit empowering him. And so we see that next. It says, because he has anointed me. And anointing is that word authority. Okay, the anointed one is actually the word Messiah. And so he is the Messiah. So he's basically saying, I'm th I am the Messiah. I am the anointed one. But an, an anointing is something that somebody does to somebody else to commission them for a purpose. And in that commissioning comes the authority to do what he is going to do. And, and so that's what it means. Then he says to proclaim good news to the poor. Okay, that's where we get our word uh, evangelism from. In Greek, euangelion means good news. Okay, so he's basically saying, I'm going out and I'm going to proclaim the gospel or the good news. Those things are synonymous. Gospel and good news is the same word in Greek. So, and... What is the gospel or the good news? He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. Okay, well, what does that mean? If you look throughout the scriptures, um, being a prisoner to something is, is often akin to sin. You look at Romans 6, 20, and John 8, 34, you see those passages talking about that we are a prisoner to sin. So I think that's directly connected to Jesus basically saying, I've come to, to deal with the sin in this world, the sin issue in this world within humanity. So that's a huge part of his job description. Then he says, in recovery of sight to the blind. Well, that's about physical healing. But oftentimes in the Gospels, it's not just what you read, that what it means, but it also has layers of meanings. So it's, it's physical healing of, of sight, but I believe it also attunes to other physical healing of the body, but also to open people's eyes in a spiritual way so that they can see and understand the truth of what, who Jesus is and what God is attempting to do. And then he talks about um, to set the oppressed free. I believe this deals with demonic oppression. 
because over and over again in the scriptures, it talks about oppression and it links it to demonic. Um, one third of Jesus' ministry is casting demons out of people. A third. That's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot. And, and so I think that that's directly connected to oppression because oftentimes the demonic wants to oppress us. And then finally, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That deals with Jubilee which God set, wanted to set a system in place so that every 49 or 50 years, basically the nation of Israel would hit the reset button and everything that was wrong or that you owed or you were indebted or if you were a servant or a slave, that was all wiped clean and you got a blank slate. And if, if for some reason you had to give up your property to sell your property because things weren't going well, you didn't have enough to eat, you got that property back because God did not want his people indebted to anyone. I don't, there's, no, there's no good record in history of whether or not that was lived out by them because people are greedy and, and once they get a hold of something, they don't like to let it go. But that was God's intent. I also think that's a spiritual foreshadowing of what was to happen when Jesus came, that everything was to be reset and people were to be set free of their indebtedness because Jesus does that work on the cross for us on our behalf. So this is the job description that we see that Jesus has that comes to us in Luke, but it's from Isaiah, okay? Are we, on that? Are we good with those things? Okay, so we see that Jesus heads out, and everything that he does is to advance the kingdom. So he heals the sick, he casts out demons, he heals the lame, he defeats sin and death, and, and raises people from the dead. That's like Jesus' job description and what he is to do. And we remember last week when we talked about it, we talked about the power of God and how the power of God originates, we, we see it for the first time as, as people of God in the book of Genesis when God creates. That power is on display. And then very soon after that, um, God tells the human beings that he created to rule over the earth. So he empowers them. He gives them authority and power to rule over the earth and basically run things on his behalf. That's his will. That's what he wants. And then quickly after that, we see that, that is, is, they are tricked out of that. So I'll show you this chart that I showed you last week, this flow. So Satan deceives the, the human beings, and they lose their power and their authority in that moment. Okay? It wasn't taken from them by force. They actually gave it away. And so then Jesus comes to deal with that because God's plan was always to empower humanity, the human beings, to live out his will. Those made in his image. That's what God desired. That's why God wants. And so Jesus comes as a human being, I believe, to rectify that wrong. And that's how God chose to do that. And so Jesus defeats the power of the enemy. And then he gives back that power to the, to the human beings so that the human beings can live out the will of God. That's the design. That's the purpose. That was the plan from the beginning. And everything comes back around full circle. Okay, so that kind of sets the tone for where we're at. And this is what I want to do this morning. I want to involve you guys because I want you to see this. And so I'm going to put four scripture passages up on the screen. Matthew 10, 1, Mark 6, 7, Luke 9, 1 and 2, and Matthew 10, 7 through 8. This is what I want to do. And, and th for those who are listening at home, I want you guys to join in this as well. I want you guys in this section to look up Matthew 10, 1. And I'm going to give you three or four minutes to talk to each other about what you see Jesus saying to his disciples there, okay? You guys in this section, in this section right here, I want you to look at Mark 6, 7 and do the exact same thing. And I'm going to ask you what you see and we're going to take notes on these things. So get, if you're sitting by yourself, scoot over. 
if you feel comfortable doing that and, and talk about what you see here. Okay, this section right here, you guys are going to look at Luke 9, 1 and 2. And then you guys over here um, are at Matthew 10, 7 and 8. And, and the Drakes get to join you in, in that one. Uh, and we'll get to, to you guys, okay? So go ahead and do that right now. Take a moment, whether you're here or at home, and look at these scripture passages yourself. Talk to your neighbor about what you see Jesus saying to his disciples. And then we're going to go through and review this. Okay, go ahead and do that right now. All right, let's bring it back together. Um, Lauren's got a mic right here. What I want to do is just give each section one, one if one person can each, each section, can I kind of point out some of the things? And I'm going to write down these things as we go. But what I want to do is I want to see the similarities and the differences between these passages and point them out. Because here, here's what we have to understand. This is uh, at, at around Matthew 10, 6, and 9 is best guesstimate a year and a half to two years into Jesus' ministry. Okay, so he's called the 12 and they've been with him for probably close to two years at this point. Could be a year and a half, could be two years, but at least a year and a half. Um, and maybe it's two and a half years, because once the Gospels get to a certain point, they go rapidly towards Jerusalem and his death and his resurrection. But we also have to keep in mind who he's talking to. So I, I gave a message blah, two months ago on discipleship, uh, back in October, November, that time frame. And if, if you weren't here, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to it. But I kind of laid out the culture of who the disciples were and the fact that the disciples were like the B or C team. They were not the elite, they were not the best, they were not the brightest. The fact that they were working as fishermen, tax collectors, whatever they were, zealots, tells you that they didn't make the final cut for what a disciple should be. And so this is who he's talking to. But also remember, what is the ultimate plan of God when it comes to the power of God? To do what with it? To advance the kingdom of God, but how does God want to do that? Through people, right? So we see that right away, Jesus, pretty quickly on in his ministry, when he feels like these guys have gotten to a certain point, and, and some of the women who, who are also with him, who were disciples, um, but we're talking about the 12 in these passages specifically. Later on, we'll get to the others. But he pretty quickly wants to empower them, is what, what we see here, which is, again, what God's plan was in, in the first place. Okay, so let's start with Matthew 10.1. And if somebody could read Matthew 10.1 from this group, Lauren has a mic, don't be shy, and then you guys can chime in to uh, what you see happening in Matthew 10.1, and I'll just write down notes um, as we go on here. So Matthew 10.1, what does it say? Can you read it for, for us, Jason, first? Jesus called his 12 disciples together and gave them authority to cast out evil spirits and to heal every kind of disease and illness. Was that the one I gave you, or did I give you Mark? You gave us Matthew 10. -1. Okay, so we're good. Keep going. Okay, so what, what do we see there in Matthew 10 1? What is Jesus doing? Giving his authority. Okay, so we have, we have the word, let's see, I got it right here. Authority comes into play. That's big. Okay, we talked about authority before. What else do we see? Well, I don't know if this is what you're going for, but when you were just sharing, I kind of felt like. So these are the, the cast-outs. Yeah. kind of feel like this is like the halftime speech for the people that never win a game. And he's like, I am, give, I am giving <laughs> you all that you need because uh, you can't do it. Yeah, you're behind 30-0. Yeah, yeah. Okay, no, that's good. That's good. I like it. 
Okay, so what else specifically is Jesus saying from somebody else? So, yeah, Ben needs to hear that because he's a Steelers fan. <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding, Ben. There's always hope, right? <laughs> That's what I'm saying. You need Jesus in that locker room. Okay, so what specifics do we see in that passage that Jesus says? So we started with authority, that's good. What else does he say to them? Yes, good. So it says, I have the NIV here, it says drive out impure spirits. Okay, so we'll just say uh, impure spirits. Which is the same as demons. And then what was the other thing you said, Jenny? Sickness. Good. What else do we have? Not just sickness. Yeah, we have this distinction between disease and... I have disease and sickness in my, in my version. So sickness and disease. Those are actually two separate things, although we could... Uh, we easily group them together because we think they're similar, okay? Anything else in, in Matthew 10.1? I think you guys got it. All right, so we got Mark 6, 7. Is that right? Okay, somebody read Mark 6, 7 for us, and then let's tell us what you see in there, even if it's uh, redundant. And he called his 12 disciples together and began sending them out two by two, giving them authority to cast out evil spirits. Okay, so what do we see Jesus saying to them there? Authority. Yes, good. Authority is mentioned again. What else? Yes. Okay. So two by two we have, which is different. Okay. Thank you, Anne. How about this group over here? What else do you guys see that Jesus says to them? So we have, we have uh, authority. We have two by two. Yes, evil spirits again shows up. What else? There's a word in here that's important for us to, to get to, and I'll come back to it. But it says in, in Mark and in Luke that he sent them out. Okay, that's important. Good, I think that, is that everything? You guys content? Or you, you have more for us? Yes, yes. And I think he says that in Luke 2. He, he brought them together. Again, I love Jason's halftime huddle speech. That's exactly what's going on. Although they would have been with him, but he makes it, Mark makes it a point to say, no, he, he like pressed pause and he gathered us together. And the, like this was something important. This is something different. I haven't said this to you before type of scenario. Okay. Uh, Luke 9, 1 and 2. What, over here. If somebody would read that to us and then share uh, what you see there. Okay, it says, one day Jesus called together his 12 disciples and gave them power and authority to cast out demons and to heal all diseases. Then he sent them out to tell everyone about the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Okay, so what do we have there? What do we see? Okay, he sent them out, yep, just like in Mark. What else? What's that? He called them together, yep. Yes, good. So not only authority... But he adds power to that. Okay, what else? Yes, right? 
he says in there, um, proclaim the kingdom of God. So I'm just going to put, to proclaim the kingdom of God there. Okay, what else does he say? Yes, yeah, so we have redundancy there again. We have those things going on. Okay, so excellent. You guys all get an A. And, and those who are, are watching online, I would encourage you to add the comments um, on the Facebook post of what you see there. But I want to take a moment to go through these things. And then we're going to get to this section because if you're in this section, you're sitting there going, uh, 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 right? Because there's something going on there that you're like, whoa, Jesus is going to a whole other level with these dudes. So we'll get to them, because that comes in, in a minute. Let me go through these things. Um, impure spirits and demons. They, okay, spirits were all created, everything's created by God. Everything comes back to God. That's why God is the source of all things. There's nothing that exists outside of God, okay? At some point, again, how does this work? How do you be in the presence of God, defy that presence, and through pride, basically, Cast yourself out of being in the presence. It's like for us, it's hard to imagine because hopefully you're in a place where you want to be in that place. You want to be in that presence. You want to be in the throne room. You want to be experiencing that power. There was a group that, that annexed themselves from the very presence of God. Um, I think it's uh, your group, Matthew. Matthew calls them unclean spirits. Why are they unclean? is because anything that doesn't function in the design and purpose to which God created it is unclean, is deemed unclean. Um, and if you want to sit down with me and have coffee, we can talk about why that works with like animals and things and the whole, whole system that, that God set up for his people early on and said, this is clean, you can eat this, this is unclean, and what makes an animal unclean? Um, but if something is unclean, it's because it's not fulfilling its purpose. And so if you're a spirit that, that chose to follow Satan in that rebellion, you're no longer doing what you're supposed to be doing, so therefore you're an unclean spirit. But again, unclean spirits, demons, one and the same, okay? So he says in Greek, to ekbalo them, which means to cast them out. So apparently there's demons within people and places that are, that are not supposed to be there, and God doesn't want them to be there. And so followers of, of Jesus... Part of your job is to help people be freed of that, okay? And again, we, th we look at the scriptures and we think, oh, that's great. I'm telling you, it's not done. It's still around today. So that's one of the things. Sickness and disease, okay? Again, this is, can be confusing. In the Greek, it's not as confusing. One of these deals with sickness that we have in our body. The other thing deals with with physical issues that our body has, like broken arms, like deformities, like the inability to hear, deaf, mute, blind, that kind of stuff. So one of them is cough, cold, flu, coronavirus type stuff. The other is physical issues with your body. Both are covered in, in this commission that Jesus sends his 12 out with. Does that make sense? Okay, we're all on the same page. And again, the advancement of the kingdom, we talked about this last week, is essentially the kingdom of God coming into the, the territory of the kingdom of the enemy and making things as God designed them to be. Because that's what God wants. And so he's sending his disciples out to do that work. Okay, so we talked about that. Then we get to this idea of power and authority. And this is what we've been talking about for the last two weeks. So Jesus basically lays hands on them and commissions them 
with the power and authority that's been given to him. He puts on them, he sends them out with that authority. So they walk in the authority of Jesus. And they do everything they do with that, I would say, in the same way Jesus did, which is through the power of the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit goes with them, and everything they do flows in that nature as it did for Jesus. He sends them out in two by two, because let's be honest, who wouldn't want to go alone, right? That would be scary and daunting as it is, let alone what you just told us we're supposed to go do. Can I have some help, please? And so there's a partnership there, and I think that's important for us to recognize because we're not called to do this alone. We're called to do this as partners. For some of us, that's our spouses, our close friends. But ministry is something we're called to do together with others. We're not supposed to do it solo. And then the the final word that I want to point out before we get to this group is the sent out one. And again, we can miss this in English. In Greek, it it jumps off the page to you because this word sent out in Greek is apostello. Anyone know what what we get our word apostello from? What that means? What is it? Apostle. So he apostles them. Now what is an apostle? This is a fascinating thing. An apostle is actually a, a Greek term that Jesus steals, but it's like, since he invented it, is he really stealing it? Or maybe he's just saying it was mine in the first place um, as he's God. But the Greeks used it as a term. And what did it mean? The closest thing we can think of today would be an ambassador, right? So if you've ever been in another country and you've walked by a U.S. embassy, behind that gate, guess what? It's U.S. soil. And everybody behind that gate functions with the authority of the American government. Okay? That's why in all the movies, when people are being chased, they always run into the embassy because you can't get in there and arrest somebody. Somehow that works well for, for all those people in the movies. But the concept is the same. If you are an, an apostle, a sent one, you're being sent and commissioned with the power and the authority of the one sending you. The original usage scholars found in the Greek was of ship captains that would sail on behalf of the king and they would go to new countries and new places, and when they get there, their, their whole point would be to implement or bring the order of the king to that place, and it should be governed and function and look like the king's kingdom. And so Jesus is doing the exact same thing. He's saying, I'm commissioning you, and I'm sending you with the power and the authority of God, in the same way I was sent. Because God's plan was always empower humanity to do the will of God. And as you go, your job description is what my job description is. I'm giving you the same job description. Now go and do that. Now, for some reason, Matthew is, adds, a, adds some definition in here that, that the rest don't. So Matthew 10, 7, and 8, if somebody can uh, to read that for us, and then tell us more about what uh, Matthew says at the end. And proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Okay, so what do we see here? What does Jesus say again? So essentially, uh, Matthew 10.1 he calls them together, 
He commissions them. He empowers them. He says, this is what I want you to do. And then in Matthew, it goes through, and that's where it tells you who the disciples are. It lists them by name. And then they're like walking away, and Jesus is like, oh, wait, hold on. Before you go, by the way, let me add a couple more things to your job description. So what are those things? Raise the dead. Okay. Why not, Jesus? What else? Heal the sick is there, so we have the redundancy. What else? Give without pay. Give freely. Why? Because how did they receive it? Freely. Freely you've received, freely you give. What else do we see in there? Cleanse the lepers. Okay? So I, I would tie that to sickness, but Jesus wants to set it apart. We're not going to go into exactly what that is, but he adds that detail in there. Okay. Raising the dead is kind of like a big deal, I would say. I mean, I would say healing, casting out demons, that's up there. But all of a sudden, he's like way up there. And as I'm reading this, the first thought came to me was, had Jesus done this yet? And so I looked at that, and, and sure enough, yes, he had. In Luke uh, 7, he, the widow of, of nine sons, he raises from the dead. And then in Luke 8, Jairus' daughter is, is raised from the dead, so, so, which takes place before Matthew 10 and, and Luke 9. So he, they have seen him raise two people from the dead. And later on, he raises Lazarus from the dead. Okay? But before he commissions and sends them out, they have seen him tangibly raise two people from the dead. So this is not something they haven't seen. He is not asking them to do anything he has not already done and modeled for them. Are you with me on that? Okay. So this is not like, hey, we haven't tried this yet. Why don't you go see if you can do it? This is, hey, we've, I've shown you this. You've been with me. You've seen me do this. Now it's your turn to do this. Now, raising the dead in Greek Engirate means to raise up, to wake up, to recall the dead to life. So oftentimes in the scriptures it talks about one who's fallen asleep. Um, that, that's symbolism for somebody who's died. Otherwise I could tell you that on a, on a weekly basis I raise the dead in my house. <laughs> right around, I don't know, what is it, 7, 7, 15? Um, that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's not saying wake people up who are, who are resting or sleeping. Um, although they... Spiritually, he's saying that. He's talking about this person doesn't breathe anymore. You pray for them because of the power and authority I've given you, and all of a sudden they start breathing again and they get up. And, and for Jesus, they start serving and, and actively living their lives, which is the purpose behind what God wanted them to do. But here's another thing that's really fascinating. If you've ever done a study on resurrection, the same word is used to describe how God raises Jesus from the dead. And the Spirit raises Jesus from the dead, and Jesus raises himself from the dead. Yeah, it's confusing. But the scriptures say all those things are true. It also says Elijah raised somebody from the dead in the Old Testament. 1 Kings 17, if you want to go back and read it for yourself. Elisha, the prophet, raised somebody from the dead. 2 Kings 4, 18. And here's one of the coolest stories in all the scriptures that I don't remember reading ever until I heard about somebody talking about it. Elijah's dead bones raised somebody from the dead. Come on. That's cool. You want to talk about the power of God. The power of God rested on this man, this holy man's being in such a way that long after he was dead, literally they buried him. And in the story, 
they're getting ready to bury somebody else in his same grave, and people attack them. And so they hurry up and they throw this guy in this hole and they run away and this guy comes back to life after he touches the bones of Elijah. That's the power of God on display in a radical way. Peter raises somebody from the dead in the book of Acts. Paul raises two people from the dead in the book of Acts. Raising the dead is not a Jesus-exclusive club, is what I'm trying to tell you. He's not the only one. The people of God did this on somewhat of a regular basis. Now... I can only imagine the disciples coming in for their pep talk, their halftime speech, as Jason put it, and they're like, oh, okay, well, we've seen you do that, okay, we've seen you do that, and then raise the dead, and I can be, Peter's like, I'm out. <laughs> like, dude, you draw the line, this is too much. You're asking too much of us, Jesus. Like, look at the scriptures. Peter is like a, a, a C- fisherman. And, and I wonder how Matthew did with collecting taxes. Like, I, they weren't probably thriving at what they were doing, so there was an openness there to follow Jesus. And now he's, he's saying, go from collecting taxes to go to raising the dead or healing the sick or casting out demons out of people. Whoa, that's intense. But again, this is, this is what the scriptures tell us that is true of his disciples. And guess what? They do it. Yeah, they do it. Look at uh, Mark 6. So this is after the fact. We don't know how long they went out or how long they spent or who they encountered, but Mark 6, 12 through, 12 through 13 says, they went out and preached that people should repent. So they connected repentance to that part of the kingdom of God. Jesus talks about that when he proclaims the kingdom of God. They drove out many demons. They anointed many sick people with oil and they healed them. What he told them to do I don't know if they were naive enough and they just went and did it or they had enough faith to believe that they could do it. And so they did it. And that's what happens. And they were successful in what they did doing ministry, just as they had seen Jesus do. Now, here's the cool part about this whole thing, and we have to get this as the understanding is, is that their success and their ability to cast out demons, you go through that list, it was directly related to the power and the authority that they carried as sent ones. And the fact that they were able to do it says less about them and more about the one who commissioned them. Because that's whose power they operate under. Because as much as I love you, you can't do it. I can't do this. But God can. And if we allow God to work through us, the scriptures is telling us, so can we as followers of Jesus. There comes a moment in every follower of Jesus' time where, where there's a stepping out in trust and faith. And where your faith goes to a new level and God uses you in ways that he's never used you before. This is the moment for them. Where they are sent out and commissioned in his name to do these things. Essentially what I want to share with you this morning is that this is their job description. It was Jesus' job description. He passed it on to them, and he said, you guys now need to go do this. And as far as I know, the job description hasn't changed. All those who are followers of Jesus have been given a job description that they are to live out. If we don't know or understand what it is, it doesn't exclude us from having to do it. I didn't grow up in churches that told me I was supposed to be doing these things. I didn't go to a Bible college that told me I should do these things. I didn't even go to a seminary that told me I should do these things. 
I had to figure these things out. God had to show me these things and put people in my life to challenge me in these ways to do these things. And I can tell you, I've seen these things done firsthand. I haven't seen anybody raised from the dead. But everything else in that job description, I have witnessed personally. And I can tell you, it is awesome. And we can talk about what it means to be a follower of Jesus all we want, but we are not allowed to change the job description. It's what's been given to us. It's what Jesus told his followers that they should do. And again, this is the pattern of God. He goes from this group, and then all of a sudden in Luke 10, 1, it says this, After this, the Lord appointed 72, so this is the next chapter in Luke, 72 others, or 70, and sent them out two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. In verse 9, heal the sick who are, who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near. So he goes from 12 to now 70 or 72, which is directly correlated to those 70 that Moses commissioned back in, in Exodus when he needed help. And it says the Spirit of God fell on them. And they begin to, to experience what Moses experienced. And they helped him with the movement of the people of, of uh, the Hebrew people, because it was millions of people and Moses couldn't do it on his own. And so they went and they did that. So this expansion begins. And then they came back in verse 17. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submitted to us in your name. So 12 went out and had, had success doing what Jesus asked them. 70 or 72 go out and they experience power of God on display. So again, it's growing. Do you see this movement? And then Jesus says to them, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany. Oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. Sorry. Wrong, wrong place. Go back to Luke 10. 17. The 72 returned with joy. They said the demons submit. And then 18. He replied, I saw Satan fell like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions. So I think he's relating what they saw take place to the fact that Jesus says, I was there. He's speaking to his divinity now, okay? Which is hard for us to wrap our minds around. But I was there, I saw it happen. And I'm commissioning you to deal with that because I have power and authority over those things. And I've given that to you. So it shouldn't be a surprise to you that you have authority and that you see things move and you see the power of God on display. Because I told you that would happen. When he talks about snakes in the scriptures and scorpions, that's, that's also akin to Satan and the demonic. Okay, it's a metaphor there. It comes up later in different places. But then here's what I want us to get in verse 20. However, he said, all these things are great. However, listen up now, pay attention. 70. Do not rejoice that you're able to do these things. Do not celebrate. Do not let that be the crescendo or excitement of the fact that you're able to do those things. That's how it's supposed to be. What you should rejoice in is the fact that you have a relationship with the Lord. Because it's only through that relationship with the Lord that you're able to act and function in this way. That's where the power comes from. That's where the authority comes from. That's where the commissioning comes from. That's where the Spirit of God comes into play. That's what's most important. And I would say the same thing to us. However the Lord decides to use us as a community of faith, we're, we want to be in a place where we position our hearts to be open to that, whatever that looks like. And it's going to be outside of our boxes, because that's how God functions. But regardless of that, the thing that we hold most dear is the fact that we get to have a personal relationship with Jesus. That needs to be the most important thing. 
And I don't think that's a struggle for us here at Washington. Um, but at some point, when we begin to see God work in these ways, we need to keep that foundation, keep that rooting in, in the place where it needs to be, which is the foundation from which everything else flows. You hear me? Amen, Pastor Jimmy. Amen, Pastor Jimmy. I will remember that. I will carry that with me. And if you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, it's an invitation to give your life to Christ, to experience fullness of life. That's, what, that's where everything flows from. That's where everything starts. So he goes, again, the, the, the plan of God was to commission humanity. That was, that was, they were deceived out of that. Jesus reclaims that, hand, begins to hand that back to humanity. The 12 go out and have success. The 70 go out to have success. Jesus gives his life up for us dies, is resurrected on the third day. And then he teaches for 40 days to a group of people. The resurrected Christ does. And we're going to talk about that when we get to the kingdom of God, because that's the thing he, he, Jesus won't shut up about the kingdom of God. You want to know what his message is? It's the kingdom of God. And we'll talk about that in a couple months when we get to the kingdom of God. But as he's departing from then, as he's ascending to be with the Father... He leaves these remarks to them, and I'm going to look at the one in Mark, because it's slightly different from Matthew, and I feel like we look at Matthew all the time, but Mark adds these details that for me, I was like, I didn't know what to do with them, and so I just left them out. And Matthew 28 is much easier to read than Mark 16, as far as what's supposed to go on. But this is what Jesus says to them, the resurrected Christ, as he's ascending to be with the Father, he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Again, we see this correlation between what Isaiah said it and prophesied over hundreds and hundreds of years ago to what Jesus claims as his own job description, to what he speaks to his disciples, the 12 and then the 70, and now we're here and he's in front of up to 500, the scriptures tell us, and he's telling them the same thing again. Preach the gospel, the good news, to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. And then he adds these things, and I, I, again, in 2022, I don't know if we know what to do these things. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In other words, the ones who believe, you'll see these things begin to happen in their lives. These descriptions will show up. These manifestations of the Spirit of God, because the power of God is flowing through them, and this is what it should look like. In my name, they will drive out demons. We heard that before. This is nothing new, but I think what he's trying to say to these followers is as you go out and you lead people to the Lord, as we should be doing, you're going to begin to see them do some of these things, just as you did these things. And these things shouldn't surprise you. They should be commonplace. They will speak in new tongues. That's a whole thing we'll get into at some point. They will pick up snakes. Again, I think that's a metaphor for the demonic, dealing with demonic, with their hands. When they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them. No idea what that means. Although it's true with Paul, right? Because Paul... Paul, when he was poisoned, it didn't affect him. It will not hurt them. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. From God to humanity. Satan steals it. Jesus takes it back, empowers humanity. First the 12, then the 70, then the 500. Do you see where this is going? And Bernie sees where this is going, but... Do you see it getting wider and wider and wider as it goes? This is the invitation for us. This is how God functions. We serve a God that, that gets broader and wider as we follow him. And for some of, that, some of us, that can be very scary. So we don't know what to do with that. 
But that's the pattern from Genesis to Revelation. At, at the end, it's everybody. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess. There's nobody who's left out of that. So at some point, God works that through, and everyone stands before the Lord, and that's what it's going to look like. So everybody's invited to be included in the, in the process. So there's an invitation for us here as followers of Jesus. Because what was true of the 12 is true of us. And now what are we called to do with that? Again, the job description is the same. It's been the same for thousands of years. People have wanted to shift it and wanted to change it because it's really uncomfortable and it's awkward and we're sitting there saying, just like I'm sure the disciples, how in the world are we supposed to do this? Me? You, You think I can? And Jesus is saying, yep, you. And you, and you, and you, and you. Even people who watch online. Them too. So this morning what we're going to do is we are going to, we're going to continue to have this conversation because it's a conversation that can't be finished on a Sunday morning. And next week um, I will be out of town, I'll be at a conference, but uh, Pastor Mike will be here and he's going to talk about how the power functions within the church and the gospel and the spirit and how those things link together is God's plan. They have to be tied together. You can think you can operate on your own, but you can't. That wasn't the, the intention. And so those things are wrapped inside one another. Then when I come back from the conference, we're going to get back into how did this tangibly look like and, and, and break out. And we're going to look at Acts 1 and, and, and uh, Luke 24 and Acts chapter 2 and, and say, well, what do we do with this? How do, how, what do we do with this power and authority that the scriptures say that is, has been given to me is, is actually a birthright for those who've given their faith to the Lord? Before we get into that, we're going to take communion this morning. So if you are joining us online, I want to encourage you to, to uh, grab elements um, as we go. And we're going to do this a little bit different um, than we have. What I want to do is I want to invite us in, in living out this passage that we just studied to, uh, to step forward in boldness and to begin to live out what God has for us. What does that mean? Um, what I want to do is this, and I, I haven't asked the prayer team this, but I, I want to ask a, a, a member of the prayer team to come up and, and stand at each one of the tables. So one there, one here, one here, and then two over there, if you would, right now. And, uh, and as they're doing that, this is how we're going to take communion this morning. You're going to come forward for, uh, for communion, and, um, and somebody on the, on the prayer team, team who's standing at, at the tables I love, I love your willingness to just show up and, because you have no idea what I'm going to ask of you right now. Um, I want you to speak whatever truth the Lord gives you to speak to the person who comes up. And then after that person is served by you, I want you to sit down, and after you're served, you're going to turn around and do the same thing to the person who comes after you. So this is going to be a practice in trusting the movement of God in you. And sitting there and saying, okay, Lord, what do you want me to say? Knowing that the very power of God lives in you, and you have everything you need to do this. Okay? Sounds scary. It's not. But it's an it's a, it's a exercise in trusting and listening to the voice of God. You have that within you. You have everything you need. And so that's how we're going to take communion this morning. Um, please don't not come forward because you're worried about not being able to to know what to say, guess what? The disciples 
We're asked to raise the dead. I think we can speak truth over one another this morning. So let's start with that and we'll build on that as we trust God to use us. So on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat. And he passed it around. And in the same way, he took the cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant. This is my blood shed for the forgiveness of your sins. Whenever you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And so we come to the table to celebrate our truth of being sons and daughters of the living God. That because Christ gave himself for us and died on the cross and and was resurrected, we too can have eternal life and life in a relationship with the Lord. And so we come to the table saying thank you and celebrating that truth. Uh, And as you come, you will hear somebody speak over you, and then it'll be your turn. And then you'll stay and turn around, and you'll serve the person that uh, comes after you. We have um, the bread and the cup available, or if if you'd rather one of these, we have these available too for you as well. So as you feel ready, come, for the table has been prepared, and let us be reminded of God's faithfulness to us as his people. Seems like... We should have just worshipped and then done communion. That was pretty profound and encouraging for me. I hope it was encouraging for you. Um, I'm remember that thing I shared about the vision night being kind of shifted in a moment. It's one of those other moments. I I brought this mic up because I have a sense that somebody else is supposed to close our time out this morning. I don't know what that means. I don't know who that is, but I feel like somebody else has something to share with us. So. I just want to put that out there, and if nobody responds, I'll, I'll finish this off, but I feel like somebody has something to share with us that God wants us to hear. Okay. Morning, Washington. Um, yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, PJ's given his message. Um, you know, he's talking about raising from the dead and uh, how you know what up here that seems um, I don't know how many people know the story of my birth um, but I was born legally dead um, I won't go into the details because it's kind of gross but um, yeah I was born no heartbeat not breathing I believe is what it was I assume I had brain function I assume I guess I don't know um yeah and doctors tried to immediately rush me off tried to save me for uh I think like 30 45 minutes something like that and they eventually were like we're gonna call it um but before they did that they told my dad if you want to go in there you know and say goodbye before we officially call it um you know you can um and again i was dead at this point and you know newborn so i don't remember this i'm only repeating what i've been told but um yeah my dad prayed for me um and i started breathing is what i've been told um and for a very long time i like i myself hardly even believe this story um I don't like telling it because it seems fake. Um, 
but for something clicked just when PJ was, you know, giving his service, his, you know, his message today, like, no, I think my dad brought me back from the dead. I really do. Now that, you know, through that message. Um, so the reason I wanted to share that was, you know, there's that, but more was just, you know, like PJ was saying, no, it's very real. It's, um, it's here. I guess I'll share this too. I was having real bad back pain um, since like Thanksgiving. Uh, and I told that to PJ last Sunday and Brian Jordan, I don't know where, somewhere in here. Um, where do you Yeah, back there. He prayed for my back and it hasn't hurt at all this week. I went and, you know, the big thing, I think I heard it doing squats. Yesterday I was at the gym and I was feeling good and I was like, all right, I'm gonna try squats again. And I did it with no pain back up to the ways that I've been doing it, you know, before. So um, all that to say, it's very real. Um, you have the power. It's, uh, you just got to, you know, step out in faith and use it. Go in peace. Thanks for listening. If you're looking for a way to get plugged into what we're doing, email us at office at washingtonchurch.org or go to our website, washingtonchurch.org.